You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. everybody. Wasn't that a sweet time of worship? And I'm so thankful that uh, even when we stop singing, God doesn't leave. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's a life of worship. Mm. And he's always with us. It's an incredible thing. And uh, my name is Phil Nelson. For those of you who are visiting uh, or maybe been coming and uh, I haven't been able to introduce myself to you, I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm going to introduce this guy in a minute, but this is Daniel Yelverton. He's another pastor. And uh, we just want to welcome you. First of all, if you're visiting, uh, we'd love to connect with you. If you don't feel comfortable filling out a connect card right away, please know that that's okay. We just would love to connect you uh, connect you to maybe the next thing, more information, maybe a personal relationship, maybe uh, someone who has common interests. We, we just wanna meet you where you're at. And um, so you can do that by filling out a Connect card, turning it into the uh, guest uh, kiosk, uh, or just come and meet us, and uh, we could do it that way. We are so excited for this series. Uh, it's called You Asked For It, and that's exactly it. Uh, we have challenged you to ask us real questions, and we are going to do our very best, <laughs> our very best to give you real, straight answers from the Word of God, grounded in the Word of God. Now, there comes a lot of risks with that, and that's why a lot of churches don't do series like this, uh, because they're absolutely crazy, and I think we're crazy enough to do it. Um, and that is why I've asked Daniel to join us, because I can't do this alone. If you, how many of you have ever listened to our weekly impact podcast? Awesome, wow, awesome. It awesome. is so good, isn't it? It is so good, and I can say that because I'm not usually on it. It is really good. And what you may not know if you haven't listened to it is Daniel's wheelhouse, Daniel's passion and gift is taking real questions and theologically digging deep into the truth of God, but giving answers in such a way that we understand them. They're not just faith-based <laughs> answers to fact-based questions. And so Daniel's going to, actually, I've asked him to facilitate this entire series. Next week is dunked, but then we have August 18th and August 25th, and I've asked him to kind of lead this series. So he's going to do, hopefully, most of the talking, uh, and then I'll just kind of color on in and, you know, do what I do best, just chime in here once in a while. Um, but we are so excited. Now, there's been about 15 15, 16 questions that came in the last week. Um, we hopefully, um, if Daniel doesn't talk too long, um, we will try, to get to, we'll try to get to some <laughs> impromptu questions. So you can right now pull out your phones. We encourage you to pull out your phones. While you have your phone out, go ahead and download our ECC phone app, and then there's a Bible app connected to that if you haven't already. But the question, uh, uh, text any questions to 937 754 5107, and why we have our computers up here is we have all the questions, so we're not like emailing each other or doing our work during the sermon. We're on so, Facebook. We're on Facebook. I know. <laughs> um, but we are looking at the email, and your questions come in. And so, if we can't get to your questions today, we will try to get them to the 18th or the 25th. And then, if we can't get to those questions, we're thinking of different venues. 
uh, or avenues to get those answers to you because we really think that this is important. Um, now, do keep in mind a couple disclaimers in a series like this. We're not going to be able to answer in depth all the questions that biblically we could probably do a series, a sermon series on each question. We're just gonna kind of just tap the surface and our desire for that is then to continue biblical conversations throughout the week in your, in your small groups coming up in September or, or just um, hit or miss or just sending an email or putting it on Facebook or just meeting with us. We'd love to talk with you further about these questions. But I tell you what, you, you spoke. You have some incredible, deep, difficult, complicated questions that I think just resonates with all of us. Um, so Daniel, um, why this series for you? Well, I know you're really <clears throat> excited about it. I, I am. Uh, it is, uh, this is one of my favorite things that we do. I love this because uh, I, think, I think really why I love this personally is that growing up, I didn't feel like I had the ability to do this. You know, I don't know if you experienced that or not when, when growing up. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Maybe not. But I felt like you didn't really have the opportunity to ask questions, right? And you, if you had something that stumped you, you had something that you weren't quite sure about, that even if you asked the questions, you almost kind of got either turned away or you received kind of a, a cookie-cutter answer, right? You know, or like, just trust God. You know, that'll be fine. It'll, it'll work out. So. Just Yeah, the Bible says so. You know, Jesus loves you, God, in quiet time. Those are like the Sunday school answers, right? You get those ones, you get every question right in Sunday Jesus. school. Yeah. yeah. And, so, uh, and so I think that is, that's a challenge. I think a challenge for us as believers is that we don't feel like we necessarily have the permission to ask. But what's really interesting about that is that that's not biblical at all. If anything, it's, it, we are encouraged to ask. And it says that in James 1. Uh, hold on, I'm going to pull it out. James 1, uh, 5 and 6, and it says, this is in the uh, New Living Translation, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. That is so important, and that's amazing. It's amazing to me that I can come to God with a question, and he's not going to rebuke me. He's not going to turn me away. He's not going to brush me aside. I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm not going to experience his anger and wrath when I come to him with a question. You see, God is not this insecure God who is like the Wizard of Oz, who's hiding behind the curtain, just hoping that we don't pull the curtain out, and then all of a sudden he's totally exposed. He's full, he's all-knowing, all-powerful, and he's full of wisdom. And the great thing is that he's generous with that wisdom. He's generous. He wants us to ask. But there's an important verse right after this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. And so I think what James is telling, here, telling us here is that when we're asking God for wisdom, we have to trust that his answer is the best answer right? We have to trust that he knows it and that, that maybe we're not, because we can have a different motive when we're asking God for a question, right? You know, have you ever asked God for a question where you really just wanted God to agree with what you wanted and then you could go on and carry on with what you wanted to do, right? Never. You just never. needed God's permission to go off and do, you know, some great choice, right? Um, but, but, you know, and so, so this is an instance where God is saying, trust me, have faith in what I'm going to say, 
Because if not, you're going to be tossed back and forth. And I felt like this before, right? You've been tossed back and forth by life experiences, by uh, disappointments, by suffering, uh, by things that are just unknown. And we can get tossed back and forth in this kind of quest to understand what truth really is, what wisdom really is, who God really is, what is the foundation of our faith, how do I deal with this current situation in light of what God says and what Scripture says. And if we ask God, and he doesn't necessarily give us the answer we want, but it's the right answer, are we willing (laughs) to trust him and put our faith in him and maybe that might be the anchor that we've been looking for all along, that we've been tossing back and forth. And so I wanted to kind of give that as, like a, um, as an encouragement, to know that this is, this, is a, this is a good place. This is a place where you can ask questions. And we may not have all the answers, uh, but if you disagree with us, you just need to repent and ask God to forgive you your sins. Amen. And then... Um, we can no. carry on. No, no. If that's... you disagree with us, <laughs> call Daniel. Yes. Yeah, my number is Phil Nelson's number. Uh, so, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, no, it's, it's okay. Like, there's yeah. going to be things that we're not going to always see eye to eye on, right? And, and I think that... that, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's really important, Daniel, because yeah. for some reason, I, I don't know, I grew up in a, in, in a church culture where if you disagreed with someone in your church, that there was division, mm-hmm. and someone had to be either right or someone had to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And as we know, theologically, the scripture is wonderfully uh, God's word. But there's a lot of passages that have different interpretations, depending on what translation you're reading and what commentary you read and mm-hmm. what pastor or, or theologian says what. And so we just have to, we have to be okay with agreeing to disagree. Mm -hmm. We may not agree with everything, and that's okay. Let's have a conversation. Don't leave the church and try to go find another one just because you don't agree with maybe a statement. Let's talk about it, Mm -hmm. and let's let's figure out if it's truly essential to the Christian living doctrine or if it's something that we really can agree to disagree on and and be okay, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, The one thing we... I lost my mic. Sorry. It's not the only thing you lost. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Pulled my ear off. Sorry. Um, we. This is raw. <laughs> yeah, this is raw. This is what you get. Um, we. I think the one thing that we have to set as a standard, and we going forward in this in this series, but also in conversations that you have with other people, and say, well, what do you think about this? It's really not what we think. It's what the Word of God says. Mm-hmm. Okay, that that is truth. If that is the absolute standard of every question we ask and every question we try to answer, then we will kind of end up in the same place. But what we see in our culture, and what we've seen this for thousands of years, is people just develop answers that sound good to them and that the culture has stated as true. And they're kind of like human robots and they just go around living, well, this this is what I learned, this is what I was trained, this is what the world says, and this is what I think. And that's not necessarily... Um, truth at all. And um, what is truth is this. It's the supernatural. What we all have to agree upon in order to be Christians is this. Let me silence my computer. Is this. The supernatural 
birth of Christ. Supernatural birth of Christ. The sinless life of Jesus. The sacrificial death on the cross. I'm getting there. The <laughs> sacred, there you go. More empty resurrection, and then the soon return of Jesus. That is essential. Our Christian doctrine hinges, rises and falls on the death of Jesus, the resurrection, and the soon return. Can we agree? Yes. Awesome. Then yes. let's go forward. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's really important for us to have that as our foundation. Because when we, when we build off of the life, the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and his soon return, then we use that to inform everything else. We, we, we look to Jesus as the model. Mm-hmm. He is the, it's, uh, it says in Colossians, he's the firstborn of all creation, meaning he is the prototype. He is the one that we look to for these things. And so uh, there may be some things that are a little bit outside, like as far as like, like spiritual, not spiritual relevance, but you know, just kind of like not to, not as close to the essential part. Mm-hmm. And that may be areas where we may not necessarily see eye to eye on. And like I said, that's okay. But what is so important for us is that we all agree that this is the foundational part of our faith, and we use that to inform everything else. Awesome. So let's get started. Okay. Shall we? Are you guys ready? Yeah. Okay. Now, what I would love for you guys to do as well, because we're, our, our job as pastors is to disciple you and to train you to actually answer these questions mm-hmm. out where you're... Where you're sphere of ministry is, whether it's your workplace, your neighborhood, whatever it is, sporting event. So ask yourself, write these down, do some research, search the scripture, ask yourself, how would I answer this? Because we don't want to think for you, we just want to guide you into the word of answering these questions. Question number one, how do we know we are living in the right religion? How do we know that Christianity is the right religion? Mm. Daniel. <laughs> Go. All right, so cool thing about this is this is actually uh, a youth uh, sent us this uh, question, which is awesome. It's great that we're a- opening this all up because we want, we want everyone to understand this. This isn't just like isolated things. It's great that the, the youth feel the, the ability to ask these questions, and that's awesome. And so... How do we know we're living in the right religion? That's a really good question. That's a very good question because I think in our culture, we have a, a view of God kind of like a mountain, right? God is at the top of the mountain, and you can take a lot of different paths to God, and they'll ultimately end in the same destination, right? Mm. And so you can kind of have your religion, my religion. We can kind of mix and match a little bit. It's kind of like a religious buffet, and we can kind of pick and choose what we want and what we want to follow, and that's going to ultimately lead us to God, right? Well, there's a problem with that. Not all religions are the same. And actually, our religion, the following Jesus, is extremely unique. We, we stand alone. We stand outside of a lot of other w- things that religions do. First is, uh, is righteousness. How are we made right with God? Every religion has to answer that question. How are you made right? How do you... At- how do you atone for what you're doing? How do you get to the next level? How do you get to heaven? How do you get to wherever you're supposed to go? What, what, what do you need to do, right? And in every other religion, it's yeah. about things you do. You have the five pillars of Islam. You have karma. You have all kinds of different things that you have to do in order to get to the place where you want to go, the destination of righteousness, right? With us... That is completely different. 
in our, in our faith, our God, our King, our Savior did everything for us. He is our righteousness. We get all of everything that he did, and he takes everything that we've done. Now, that is completely unique. Yeah, it makes Christianity stand out among there's no, all There's religions. no other religion that follows that similar practice. And what, what it does is when we try to work ourselves to righteousness, it ultimately, one, creates a culture of fear, you know, and it also creates division, and it creates uh, gaps between people. Right? Because you have the righteous and the unrighteous. We see this so much in the Old Testament. We see this in other religions. We see this in the caste system. We see this uh, when it comes to priests and we come to like the lay people and stuff like that. Right? There's this division between the holy people and the ones that are not. And with Christianity, we are all the same. We are all redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that's why it's so important when we started out by saying that is the pivotal part of our faith. Because if it's not then we're going, to start, we're going to start pulling in some of these aspects of the faith. And I will say, if you want to do some research, read Galatians. Yeah. Galatians is an awesome book where Paul really lays out the difference between following the law, following rules, and what we have with Jesus. And how following the rules just led to this kind of frustration and not feeling like we're ever going to be enough. And God is always mad and frustrated with me. And gosh, if I do this one wrong thing and then I get in a car accident, I'm done. And there's this fear and there's this looming laying over our head. But that's not us. That's not, the, that's not what we have with Jesus. Yeah. And also, with that, with a, with a long list of rules, comes a lot of complications, but also comes a lot of loopholes. You'll see people taking advantage <laughs> of other people because of the power that they have within their religion. Yeah. We have one commandment. Well, get... Jesus summed up the law in two, two commandments, one, yeah. and then he gave us the one commandment at the Last Supper. We are to love God, we are to love people. And then Jesus gave us his commandment to his disciples, for all of us, is that we are to love others the way that Jesus loved us. And that's how people are going to know that we're our disciples. And when you have one command, you don't have a lot of opportunities for loopholes. That's so good. And yeah, go I was just going to say, where I would go, where you haven't gone, is... Christianity being the right religion is because there's no, there's no other religion um, that has a God who sent his only son that is historically proven, everything is proven, that he died. Jesus was a man on earth. He died. And here it is. It's, if Christ didn't raise from the dead, if Christ didn't rise from the tomb, our faith it says in um, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then our faith is useless. Hmm. But if Christ has raised from the dead, then everything he said and everything the word of God says is true. Hmm. So you have to ask the question or answer the question, did God really send his son Jesus, who is God in the flesh? And did he die for your sins and did he raise from the dead. Did he rise from the dead? Because if he did, then he is right, he is just, and he is the only God. And everything he says and everything the word of God says can we can take to the bank. And I think one more thing I wanted to, to talk about with that is that um, a lot of times we say like, okay, well, it's just faith, right? You believe in Jesus and you believe he rose from the dead and that's just faith, right? And so it's kind of this, it's really subjective. But 
what is not really necessarily taught is that there is so much overwhelming evidence mm. of not only the resurrection of Jesus, but that everything he said came through. And there was, there's uh, even the documentation, when the documents were written, yeah. how much documentation we have. 500 you know, witnesses. There was, there's over 500 eyewitnesses. Think about that in a court case. How many eyewitnesses do you need for a conviction, right? You have over 500 eyewitnesses. Not only that, there is over 200, uh, sorry, 25,000 copies of ancient manuscripts from the New Testament. That is the most of any ancient manuscripts that we have. Do you know what is second to the New Testament? It's the Iliad and the Odyssey, and there's 600 copies of that. Hmm. 25,600 copies. Yet the validity of the Iliad and the Odyssey is not questioned. And, and then also, you'll see the different mm. behavior of the disciples. The disciples changed. They acted different. Something happened to cause the change. And people aren't going to die for a lie. If they know it's a lie, you're not going to lose your life over it. And it, there may be a, a few crazy people that might do that, but the, every single one of the disciples, almost every single one of the disciples, and so many followers of Jesus were martyred. You don't die for something that you know is made up. And when the documents were written, they were written within 20 to 40 years of when Jesus rose from the dead. That is not enough time for the documents to become legend. In order for a legend to kind of come about, it, you need about 150 to 200 years for a legend to actually take place because everyone that saw it has to be dead. Because if somebody is alive, they can say, that didn't happen because I saw it, and so it doesn't work. But all of the documents have been, were written within the 20 to 40 years of Jesus' life. And so the eyewitnesses that saw it were still alive. And then one last thing. If everything hinges on Jesus' resurrection of the dead, then if all, all the leading priests needed, all the Jewish priests needed to do was produce a body. If they produce a body, it's all done. It's over. And so you have all of these things. Oh, sorry, one more. I'm sorry, I forgot one. Come on. I know, I'm sorry. This is why I like this. All we're, right. we're on question uh, one here. I know, I'm sorry. One more, okay. But is, is, is the crazy like stories that you get in the New Testament, right? You get a guy in the Garden of Gethsemane who they're trying to arrest everybody. He grabs his cloak and he pulls his cloak off and he runs away naked, right? That's in the Bible. You don't put that in the Bible unless it happened. Like, you, like let's say if I'm like go home and I tell Lainey, hey, here was my day. I, you know, did this, did this, this. And oh my get, gosh. And you run away naked? No, yeah. not, not oh. that. But I saw somebody running down 28 naked, right? <laughs> That's going to be included in my like, what happened for the day because it's so odd. It's so, it sticks out, right? You have so many instances in the New Testament where you see these random like inserts of facts and stories and you're like, what is this? It's because it happened. Yeah. It's because it's valid. All right. Awesome. I'm done. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I, I'm so glad you learned everything I taught you. Um, <laughs> yeah. Question number two. Let's go a little Since faster. <laughs> question number two. What is the truth of Lucifer's fall? Lucifer being mm -hmm. Satan, the devil, Beelzebub. He has got all these different names, but same, same, same person. Lucifer's fall. The Bible doesn't say much about it. It doesn't say much, but it does say enough. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited about... Um, 
uh, our Revelation series coming up in September because we're going to touch on that just a little bit. Um, but what is the truth of Lucifer's fall? Um, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you would look at um, Isaiah 14, it's in the Old Testament, or just write it down. I'm going to read it to you real quick. It says, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star. It doesn't say, O Lucifer. O shining star. Why, O shining star? He was the brightest, the most incredible, majestic of all angels, all created beings. He was the leader of worship. He was the one over all the worship. He was the shining star in heaven. And I think maybe that was his fall as he wanted to be the shining star. Mm -hmm. It says, um, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. Why was he thrown down? It says this, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above, above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of God's far away in the north. I will climb. What he's saying is I will be God. I want the glory. No longer am I going to lead these choirs of angels in this worship session. I want the worship to me. Mm -hmm. And so we see him fallen and he reigns the world. And what is the biggest problem of sin? What is the biggest problem of sin? It's all about me. me. It's all about pride. What can God give me? We want the praise. We want the strength. We want the success. And that is rooted and grounded in Lucifer himself, and that's what he fell for. And it even says that a third of the angels fell with him. And they reign and rule on this earth. That's why we have darkness. That's why, that's why so many people, they say, well, why, why did God do this to me? No, the fallen Lucifer himself brought his gang and his choir, and they're messing with us, trying to keep us from the truth of what God has set forth that worship is his alone. Mm -hmm. His throne is his alone. And his glory is his alone. Now imagine this though. If a third of the angels fell, Daniel, do the math, how many angels are in heaven? You have two thirds. Two thirds. 66.7%. <laughs> Make me sick. Um, two thirds. So. We don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to fear the enemy because the Bible says greater is he who is in us than he is in the world. That means we have two-thirds of the heavenly host. Mm -hmm. The third can't even compete, y'all. Mm -hmm. they, they already know that they're defeated, and they run and hide. They believe in Jesus, and they tremble because they know the power that is at hand. So that's a little bit, and then I think we should move on unless you have something. Um, I just one, one quick thing about uh, Satan, I'll try to be quick, um, is, is that he's not God. Like, so he doesn't have the power that God has. God is all present, all knowing. God can see our heart and see our mind and see our thoughts. <laughs> that's not something that the enemy possesses. The, the enemy is a created being. The enemy is an angel. The enemy was an angel. It even says in Job that he is confined to his body. Like he, can, he says he's walking to and fro from the earth observing people. So he's got to walk to places, right? Or fly or whatever he does. I don't know. I don't know. That, that could be for debate. But he's not all present, all, not all knowing. Mm. And so I think that's very important for us to understand, to know that there's a, there's a, there's a difference between 
uh, God and his power and what he is able to do and what he is able to accomplish and how we can relate to him and also what he has access to. God has access to our minds, to our thoughts. The enemy doesn't have access to those things. He can just observe. That's awesome. More to come. Uh, One of my favorites here. Do all animals go to heaven? Only dogs. No cats. No No cats. cats. They are rulers of the underworld. I mean, it's an old Egyptian thing. I think we just lost. I think we lost fifty people. I'm so sorry. Come to us. There's other churches, great churches who love cats. Actually, uh, my wife back there, uh, if she was up here, she would give a totally different answer because she actually, our two dogs, she has had the salvation talk with. Mm-hmm. She literally, Ollie and Skye, and she, she will tell you that they accepted Jesus. Are, in they, coming to, are they coming to dunked? And they're coming to dunked. They are, good. And so they're going to be <laughs> in heaven. So, um, but all kidding aside, um, I grew up actually with the statement that uh, animals will not be in heaven. Your pets will not be in heaven and all that stuff. Do we know that your pet Fido and your pet Mittens is going to be waiting for you at the gate? Um, the Bible doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. However, what the Bible does say is there will be all creatures, mm-hmm. glorious, all creation. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Everything here on earth, there will be horses. There will be dogs, whether it's Ollie or Skylorn, I don't know, but there will be Bashans and Poodles, and there will be, you name it, there will be pigs, there will be all of this, the lion will lay with the lamb, it's going to be absolutely beautiful. So whether or not uh, Belle or Bison or whatever name you (laughs) give your pet is there waiting for you, we know that creation, all creation in Romans says all creation groans Mm -hmm. for the coming of the kingdom of God. That includes dogs, and unfortunately, it includes cats, too. Um, Some of them. And, uh, but uh, anyways, we're having too much fun. So um, did did I miss anything there? No, that's Okay, so let's keep going. Um, This is is great. This is kind of in my wheelhouse. What is ECC's stance on church membership? Um, That is really, really good. Um, in 2011, when we launched here, uh, we've been under the association. It's called Evangelical Free Church Association. Uh, it's not a denomination, but it's a network. It's, a, it's an association in which we get our 5013C status from. We are still considered a church plant in their organization, and this is why. is because we don't have official membership here. Um, there's not really um, um, arguments necessarily against membership. It's just as we've been growing the church, we don't want to cause division, and we don't want membership to be something that keeps people from getting fully connected. Does that make sense? But membership is fully connected. Membership is all about people who are core to the local body of Christ who are going to say, I am committed to this body. I'm committed by attending. I'm committed by serving. I'm committed by praying and taking my part as a follower of Christ in this body. And I'm committed to give to this ministry. That is membership. So we don't have official um, data that you have signed an official agreement. That's for now. Who knows? In the future, we may look at official membership. And the elders are praying about that and talking about that. Um, But we kind of operate, not officially, but technically we operate as a church of members because you are the core. We are an elder-led ministry here, organization, but we listen to our core. 
we meet with our core. Um, so there's really not any difference other than we are not considered official membership at this point. And then the next question is, is there a way to see where and how offerings and tithes are allowed at, allotted at ECC? I love this question because I think all of us, hopefully all of us need to ask, where, are, where is our money going? Do you know in this day, especially when you're giving online, you don't know where your money's going at all. You don't know. And in, in, in all the different news and media with all the different churches, um, you saw just recently one, one pastor uh, charged with fraud and, and embezzlement and all that stuff. We need, we need to know that our money is safe in hands that are going to uh, spread the resources in a way that advances the kingdom of God. And so I am so excited to tell you that in the last five years since I've become lead pastor, our elders, we've developed a finance team who basically designed and created a finance uh, policy. Then we have a specific finance team that kind of uh, goes over all the checks and balances. Uh, we, have, um, outs uh, we have outsourced our, our bookkeeping and our accounting uh, to outside so that there's more account accountability there. Um, but what we do every year, and we have committed to this, and I was telling Lauren about this, and she says, does, does a lot of churches do this? And I said, I don't know, but it's something that God put on my heart and the elder's heart, is in order to model to you what, we're, what we believe is a life of living in obedience to God is giving 10% of what we have. It's just giving back to God just the first fruits. So we want to do that as a church. It's not even in our budget item. We do it by faith that everything that comes in as offering and gifts, we are going to give 10% outside of ECC. That, that looks like local outreaches, benevolence, different people in need in our community. It's also global from Horizon International to uh, Jerry uh, Cook in um, and Malawi. Malawi, yep. and um, also then uh, Rob, the Bobby Hibs, are the Hibs here? No, uh, Rob, Bobby and uh, Brittany Hibbs in El Salvador. So we're able to do that because we're tithing on what comes in. And then the rest of that, what we do is, uh, again, our finance team, and we have several people who every year we develop a budget. And this budget then is allocated to everything that we talked about in our vision series. It's all about creating experiences to fully connect people to Christ, his community, and his cause. So the budget is spread out of everything that it takes uh, to create experiences in our ministry. So that includes every ministry area that is, is serving our church and our community is accounted for. Uh, that also means all of our operations. Uh, it takes a lot to run this ministry. I don't know if you know that. We have staff salaries, but we have constant mortgage, monthly mortgage. We have utilities. We have insurance. And all that that takes to keep this building running, to keep this ministry going, and we're able to do that within a very reasonable and healthy um, budget. We also have an incredible team of faithful counters um, that are very... Um, uh, very humble with the finances. They don't post the giving on Facebook or even tell the staff. Uh, it's very, we just have some amazing people and some amazing checks and balances so that we know the most important thing we do is we steward God's resources wisely, 
and um, with pure hearts. Mm -hmm. And so um, I hope that answers the person's question. If you have more questions about that, please text them in or um, connect with me. We have one that I think we could answer cool. now if you want to. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's a... Uh, it won't be on the in, screen. It, will, it, it may. I, I sent it to Tiffany, oh. so it might. Uh, it is... Uh, that's what I was doing. I wasn't just texting to text. Uh, anyways, um, there was a, a question about what is our standpoint on the gifts of the Spirit? What's our, what's our standpoint on the gifts of the Spirit? <laughs> um, I think usually when they ask that question, they're talking about tongues, tongues a lot of times. Tongues, prophecy, etc. Um, and yeah. I, I have never, ever done this. I've never, ever done this. You're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? No, I've never done this. But when Six. I was in college, um, the pastor at the church I went to, I'll never forget it. He was not making fun of tongues. He was t teaching on tongues. But he just said a humorous way talking about tongues. He was trying to get a laugh because this is a really intense subject. And he says, all you have to do is just talk about cars. Got to buy a Honda. Got to buy a Honda. And say it really fast. Got to buy a Honda. And then should have bought a Toyota. Should have bought a Toyota. So, so um, bad. So I just never forgot that, and that's, that's free. I've always wanted to share that. Shout out to David Holt. Um, so if you don't like that, um, he's in Athens, Georgia, pastoring a church Gosh. there. So, um, but um, the, the, uh, there are teachings that say that the gifts, the spiritual gifts, especially the charismatic gifts, the healing um, and prophecy, uh, tongues, um, signs of miracles and different things like that ceased, died with um, the apostles. Mm -hmm. And um, I just don't see any biblical proof. And uh, I believe, you know, where the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit comes in fullness. Uh, nothing really stops his power. However, the thing that we need to know about the gifts are they are not for you. Mm. That's why Lucifer fell. Mm. They are not for you. They're not even to worship God with. Technically, it's a, that, that's a result, mm -hmm. but it's to build into one another. And so if using the gifts in a corporate way makes other people stumble, makes them feel judged, makes them confused, then I have to question the spirit within that gift. Mm -hmm. And so here at ECC, uh, I'm definitely open to God moving in the different gifts, but I do believe that there's structure and order. God is a God of order, not chaos. Mm -hmm. God is a God of understanding, not confusion. Mm -hmm. And so whatever we do in word or deed, it's to bring understanding. 1 Corinthians 12 is a great chapter to read. Paul lays out the spiritual gifts. Um, so that's kind of where we stand. Uh, as far as tongues, I, don't, I, I, I have not experienced in a corporate setting, um, tongues really done biblically, and that's just from my experience. I'm not saying that it's not done biblically elsewhere, mm -hmm. but tongues is a little complicated, and Paul really goes through it and talks about the do's and don'ts with tongues because it's all about understanding and inter interpretation, mm -hmm. and tongues started actually of speaking the foreign languages of the people who were all coming into Jerusalem to hear the gospel. That was the power of the tongue. And so that's why a lot of people, well, why don't we see tongues used as much today? Well, because we have English and we have different languages that bridge and interpret what the other languages are saying. So there's and I, that. And I think also, like, to piggyback off what Paul is saying in his letter in the first Corinthians is that, continue to verse to chapter 13, which is the love chapter, right? And it's a famous chapter that we use for, like, marriages, but it's really talking about spiritual gifts and it's talking about the gift of love and that that if 
the spiritual gift is not done in the context empowered by and the result is love, then it's done completely wrong. And that's so important. And that's the way, that's the thing that almost like informs us because our one command is to love others the way that Christ loved us. And so when we deviate from that, even with the spiritual gifts, it ends up not being what, God, what Christ intended it to be. That's good. Cool. Is there any other questions? But, yeah, gonna... we've, got a, we've got a couple more. Uh, why don't we, man, what are we doing? We're doing, we're doing crazy on time here. Uh, I want to answer this one, and then we'll, and we'll do the, if, if God is all loving, then why did he kill so many people in the Old Testament? Um, Daniel. <laughs> so I think this one is a really hard question. I actually, when I was in Raleigh, I was discipling a guy, and his biggest hang-up was the flood. He was like, I can't. I can't worship a God that kills all of these people. Like, how is that possible? How is that, how is he a good God? How is he a loving God if this is how it goes? And I think that uh, we see that, and we kind of see that in a vacuum. And I think a lot of the challenges that we have with the character and nature of God, it's kind of a, um, let's say it's, it's a first world kind of problem. Does that make sense? Like, like we, we, did, we, we tend to question the justice of God very often from our perspective and how we think we should run our lives and how we think we should do things. And that's a very new kind of independent personality or a new kind of way of thinking. But what's interesting about is if you look into the character and nature of God, if you just say that, okay, God just flooded the earth and he wiped out the entire population of the earth and spared eight people, you know, that's awful. That's so terrible. Like, why, why would he ever do that? But what's really interesting is when you read Genesis 6, when it talks about the account of the flood, it says that God said he was going to devour the devourers. That's the original translation, right? And so think about it this way. If there is somebody in our society mm. who will kill at will, will rape at will, will enslave people at will, will do whatever they want at will because they have the power and they have the ability to do that and no one can stop them. You know, that's a terrible person. That's a terrible situation. And there's so many people that are being destroyed from this person. Now multiply that by an entire society, an entire human race that is wicked in everything that they do, that they devour each other. They're destroying each other. You know, in our society, what, what do we do with a person like that? They go to jail or we execute them, Right? Because, because we, we have to pay attention to the fact that they are destroying people. They're destroying society, and we, we value human life. And that's a God gift, because mm. God values human life. And so if there are people that are destroying and devouring, and there's nothing to stop or intervene, then God comes in and says, I am going to devour the devourers. But it didn't work, right? And what's amazing is that God is so patient in this justice, right? In all the instances in the Old Testament, there's never this absolute swift justice. It just doesn't always come like that. There's a few instances. But in most cases, there is plenty of time to repent. There's plenty of time to turn back to God. You know that it took Noah 120 years to build the ark? Did you know that Noah's grandfather is Methuselah? Methuselah is the oldest person that we have recorded in history, 969 years old. Do you know what Methuselah's name actually means? It means when I die, it will come. He died the same year the flood came. 
Now, is that ironic that God would have the guy that lives the longest in history be the one that is prophetic saying that when I die, the flood is going to come? There's patience in that. Mm-hmm. There's a desire that people would come to repentance. You see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like Abraham literally interceded from 50 righteous people in an entire, a large city state of people, from 50 to 10 righteous people. If there's only 10 righteous people, I will spare the entire city. You know, and then, and then even those angels, they wait, they allow Lot the chance to tell his uh, fiancés of his daughters, hey, get out of the city, there's destruction coming, and they just laugh. They say they don't think it's coming, right? And so there's patience in, in God's, he's slow to anger. He's slow because he wants us all to come to repentance. And the greatest story of that is what we see in, in Nineveh, right? We have Jonah, who is, he is literally, uh, he is supposed to go to Nineveh to say, I, this is destruction's coming to Nineveh. There's nothing you guys can do about it. This, that was his sermon. He was like, he had like a one-sentence sermon which says like, you know, repent, you're all going to die. And then that was it. He dropped the mic and he was done, right? And so, yeah, too bad we don't have sermons like that anymore, right? Um, nice and short. You guys go to lunch real soon. Uh, so, uh, but what's interesting is that they repent and God spares the whole city. Did you know that Nineveh, was the was the uh, was the capital of Assyria? Assyria was the one that destroyed, killed, raped, murdered, and just brutalized so many of God's people. They took over the top ten tribes, mm. northern Israel, completely decimated. They were enemies mm. of the Jewish people. But you know what? They repented, mm. and God relented, and God spared the city. And so, take time when you're reading some of these things that seem like a really bad. And this will segue into some later questions because we're going to talk about the problem of evil. We're going to talk about pain and suffering and different things like that. But take time to see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And when you need wisdom, ask God because he's so generous. Good. That's so good. And his yeah. character is good, so have faith in who he is. Whew. That is good. Um, we're going to wrap up. So the band's going to come up just to kind of lead us back into a place with the song of God. I'm yours forever. And so would you just bow your heads for a moment? I just love how God works. Because I truly, from the, the moment I woke up this morning, I just knew God wanted to speak to people's hearts. And we ended on where I believe he wants us to go. So where's your heart? Who's on the throne the highest place in your heart. And may I ask you, what has seemed to take the place of God in the throne of your heart? Is it unbelief? Maybe you've never accepted the truth. Maybe you've never believed and received Christ as Lord. Is it doubt? God doesn't condemn you for doubt. When Jesus was resurrected and met with the disciples, he even looked at doubting Thomas, and he said, it's okay. Touch. Put your fingers in my nail-scarred hands and my feet and my side. I believe that God just says, just, he wants to show you. He wants to show you that he is who he says he is. And the only avenue of him showing you is you letting him in. 
the Holy Spirit is just doing a work on people's hearts right now. You see, the only way that you could even be convicted of your sin is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way we can be drawn to the gospel message and the heart of God is through his spirit. And I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are struggling through the hardest, most difficult, tragic time of your life right now. And I don't want to over-spiritualize things for you. But I can tell you that when you give God your everything, he will do immeasurably more, abundantly more than all you could ever ask, think, or imagine. And the God that I know, the God that I believe in, the God who lives inside of me, I know, grieves and is full of sorrow and pain within your season of difficulty. He grieves with you. He longs for you to thirst for him and what only he can provide. He is so madly in love with you that he leaves the 99 sheep to go chase you, the one. And the Bible tells us that all we have to do we have to believe that Jesus is Lord and we have to receive him his salvation for our sins the Bible tells us to repent it's just a Christian word that means to turn away from the wrongdoing in our lives turn away from the sin of pride turn away from the sin of lust the sin of our eyes the sin of our ears the sin of our thoughts and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and wants to make you new, wants to make you alive in his spirit and wants you to be with him forevermore in his kingdom. And so, Father, we just pray to you right now. Would you mind just all of you, maybe many of you are, have prayed this prayer time and time again, but for the sake of those who want to pray it maybe for the first time, can you all just repeat after me? Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. I have fallen away from your love. And right now I acknowledge you as Lord. I thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. ask you to cleanse me from all my sins. Forgive me. Make me new. Holy Spirit, come alive inside of me. Show me the ways of God. And allow me to serve and follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.